Father, in the name of Jesus, we gather here for the specific purpose of just focusing on you. So, Lord, I know in my life, it seems like there's always distractions. Things that would take away my concentration or keep me from being committed to you. But, Lord, in this place, we ask you to just give us a chance to zero in for these next few minutes. Lord, we declare that you, Jesus, you're the one that is over disease. You, Jesus, you're the one that is over relational strife. Lord, you, Jesus, tell us that the governments of the world are on your shoulders. So we speak Jesus today. And Lord, even as I lift my hands, I pray that you would be praised by everything we do. Lord, as I hold open palms before you, I pray, Lord, fill me with your presence. Lord, what the Old Testament prophets would call a double anointing, what the old-timey preachers would call the unction of the Holy Spirit, God, just speak through me. Hide me behind that cross that we think of on Easter weekend. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart please you. And then, Lord, I tell you, I surrender. I just pray that you would give us a sense of surrender to your will in this moment. Let us know that yes, you are with us. Lord, I pray that today somebody's life would be changed forever because we met here today. And Lord, we thank you for this. Even as we say your name again, Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated, church. Would you allow me just to greet you again as Christ followers have greeted one another for more than 2,000 years? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Take out your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of Philippians. This may be my favorite book in all of the Bible, so I think it's so special that we get to focus on this on Easter weekend. Philippians chapter 3 is where we will begin in just a moment. As we do that, I I want you to know that thanks to technology, not only in a big room like this, it's not really designed to be a worship center, we are all able to see, but we have people joining us in other countries, we have people joining us from hospital rooms, and we have two other campuses that are meeting right now. Would you welcome those that are worshiping with us that are not here in this physical location? Now, I want you to think about something that may challenge you a little bit. Imagine for a moment that you've just been told the grave of someone you love is empty. It's kind of hard for us to imagine. A grave site can be a special and a solemn place. Most folks who hang out here know that uh, my hero, my daddy, he died during covid And so we had a uh, small graveside service. And then it was about six months later that after going through the process, we were able to get his his grave plate. And I had a chance to go back and visit that grave even before they put sod or grass. And you know, I know I'm I'm a follower of Jesus. The Bible calls these bodies our earth tent. In, In other words, this is not who we are. You're not a body. You're a soul. Your, your body dies. Your soul lasts forever. So I knew my dad's not beneath that grave plate, but still it's a special place. It's, it's been a little bit now, and, and so I've kind of thought I'd like to go back and just spend a couple minutes there and just remember what he means to me. Can you imagine how the Marys, the Bible says there were two Marys, how they must have felt on that first Easter morning, when they were going back to the place where Jesus was buried, and he wasn't there. In that case, it was a gravestone that was rolled away. It's described in Matthew 28 and verse 5, an angel appears to them and says to the women, do not be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. That's the first time that those words were uttered. He has risen. Isn't that worth celebrating again, church? The angel was right. I've been to that grave. 
It's actually a tomb in the side of a mountain. If you visit today, it's one of the busiest bus stops in all the world. And in fact, the last time I was there in the garden tomb, they call it, you could hear the honking of horns. It, it, it was dirty outside. And then you walk into this solemn, serene, beautiful garden. And there in the garden, you look over on the side of the mountain and you see a stone and an opening. So I, I've seen the tomb from the outside. I, I know what it looks like, but I didn't stop there. You can go inside. So I saw the, the tomb from the inside. And, and guess what? Jesus is not there. The tomb is empty. He's alive, church. Jesus is alive. That angel was right. Jesus Christ was crucified for our sins. That, that's part of this gospel that we celebrate, that because of who we are, that God allowed his son to die a criminal's death. Let me spend just a minute there in case you've never understood that. We talked about this on Good Friday here in this same space. The, the fact that all of us are born sinners doesn't mean you have a bad family or doesn't mean you're a bad person. doesn't mean you're a sinner's. Because sin is not just something we do, it's who we are. It's that nature that keeps us from following after God's commands and, and prevents us from doing some of those things he said we should do. The Bible says repeatedly, all of us like sheep have gone astray. It says in another place, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then it says the wages or the payment, the punishment of sin is death. So Jesus was crucified for our sin. By the way, some of you wonder, why do they call it Good Friday? That's why we call it Good Friday. I mean, just think about it. If, if you deserve punishment and somebody stepped in and took your punishment, how would that make you feel? Good, right? So Jesus died for our sins. And then Jesus was buried. After a humiliating death on the cross, Jesus' friends took his body and they placed it in a borrowed grave. And they thought that was the end period. They thought everything he had been saying was coming to a close. All hope was lost. The promises Jesus had made, all the talk about him having a kingdom. Why? Well, because once you're dead, you're powerless, right? I already talked about that and even remembering my dad's life. That body can't do anything. Well, not Jesus. Because that's not the end of the story. That's what we celebrate on Easter weekend. God raised Jesus from the dead. God raised him from the dead. Three days after his death, Jesus walked out of the grave shining like the sun. And dangling from his belt were the keys of death and the keys of hell. And he was declaring to the world from that moment on, God is alive. He is alive. So that's where we're different from any other world religion. We've gathered together today, and we're celebrating a living God. Just think about that. The God that we've sung about, the one we've prayed to, the one you're hearing about right now, he's not a distant deity. He's not dead. We can't visit a tomb that contains his body. He's alive. But most of you knew that part of the story. I understand that. And you expected on Easter weekend to come and, and hear me tell you that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He was buried. And three days later, God raised him from the dead. But what difference does that make? Why is that so important? And how does it help you and me in our daily lives? Because in a day or two, we're going to be back at work. Or at school, and we're going to be surrounded by friends or coworkers or family, and, and they don't all follow after Jesus. And, and maybe we're struggling with where he is in the midst of our broken world. Why does the resurrection matter? It's one simple thing I'm going to tell you over and over again today. If the grave of Jesus is empty, then anything is possible in your life. Do you believe that? 
If the grave of Jesus is empty, then anything is possible in your life. Now, you may know that the Bible teaches that. Let me just give you a couple of examples. In Matthew chapter 19, this is what Jesus says. It says, he looked at the people around him and said to them, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. How many things? Yeah, see, if the grave of Jesus is empty, then anything is possible. And then maybe you've seen this. I remember when Tim Tebow used to put this verse up under his uh, eyes and in, in the black, and it was Philippians 4.13. It says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. The, the way I learned that as a child, it says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. How many things? All things. You see, if the grave of Jesus is empty, then anything is possible. But how does this work? How does it look? How do I live it out? That's what we're going to see in Philippians chapter 3. Now, Philippians is a letter to a specific group of people in the Bible. Most of your New Testament was written by men of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, but they were letters that were written to a specific group of people that apply also to our life. This particular one was written to a church in a city called Philippi. So if, if he were writing to this specific group today, it would maybe called, be called Templetarians or Campanians or something like that. But it's called Philippians because it was written to a church in Philippi. And Paul's writing this about 30 years after he began to follow Jesus. So he's kind of mature in his faith, you would think. And he's writing this from jail. Now that's going to be significant. Because that's just a reminder that things don't always work out the way we wish they would. And so here's Paul, and he, he starts this letter. I love this book. It's a book of, about joy, which is interesting since he's writing for jail because you would think that would be a hard place to find joy. And, and some of you come in today, and you look at the circumstances of your life, and you think, I don't have any joy. And this is just a reminder that joy doesn't come from what's going on around us. Happiness may. Happiness is tied to the happenings in our life. But joy Man, that comes internally from Jesus. And, and so Paul would say things like this. And in the beginning of Philippians chapter 1, he would say, I know, regardless of what you're going through, that God works all things together for your good. And he who, finished, he who started a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. At the end of Philippians 1, he would say something like this. Don't, don't worry about me because whether I live or whether I die, I'm with Jesus. For me to live is Christ... And for me to die, that's just more Jesus, more Christ. Then in, cha in chapter 2, he, he would say this. He said, hey, if you want to get an attitude, uh, just one of our first moments of confession. Anybody else ever struggle with their attitude? I, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand on this one, but even on Easter morning when it's stressful, you're trying to get dressed to, to come to church, if you're not careful, you can come in with an attitude. And so Paul said, if you can get an attitude, get this attitude, the attitude of Jesus. And then he describes Jesus in chapter 2, and then he ends it by saying, who was obedient even to the point of death on the cross? But because of that, he says, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then he gets to chapter 3. In chapter 3, <laughs> it begins a little differently because in chapter 3, he starts out by saying, watch out for the dogs. He's not talking about the Georgia Bulldogs. I'm not real fond of them. He's not talking about like, who let the dogs out? Yeah, he's not talking about that. He's actually talking about religious people. People like he used to be. He's saying, watch out for those people that, that think that religion is everything or think that they've arrived because they're religious Man, that's just a reminder to me on Easter that I'm so glad you're here, but it, God's not focused on your religion. It doesn't matter whether you're Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, Episcopal, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Assembly of God, non-denominational, Church of Christ, or, or some of these offshoots that aren't even really following anything. It's not about the rituals you've been through. 
Some of you have been through confirmation and you went to church class and you've had first communion or maybe you grew up Baptist like I did and so you walked down an aisle or you raised a hand or you were dipped in water or, or you were dunked under or you were sprinkled. I don't know. It's not about those things. It's, it's more, Paul's saying. And in fact, he says, if it were about those things, man, then I'm top of the top. It's kind of a proud moment for him. He gives us his resume. He talks about all the things that he's done religiously. And then he says, but none of that matters. On Good Friday, we sang this song, and it kind of expresses his sentiment. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my riches gain, I count as loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Listen to how Paul says it. Philippians 3, verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Again, I grew up with the King James Bible, and in the King James Bible, it says I consider it dung. You know what dung is? We don't really use that word. So let me help you. I've got to be careful. We're in church. Poop. Do, do. You get the point or do I need to continue? He, he says, all of these things that I walked around proud of, strutting about, I thought I was somebody, I now consider that a pile of rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now, theologians talk about this passage of Scripture and tell us that it really reminds us of the process of salvation. Did you know the Bible says salvation is somewhat of a process? We're, we're saved once and for all at a moment in time, but, but there is a process that's ongoing. I, I am saved, and, and then I'm being saved, and then one day I will be saved. Let me see if I can explain that. Um, verse 9 talks about when we are saved. And there is a moment. Jesus called it being born again. I like to think of it this way. All of us have birthdays, and pretty much everybody I've met knows their birthday. Even little children know their birthday. If I told you to say your birthday right now, you would tell me the date on which you were born. And Jesus said, when, when you begin to follow Christ, there's another birthday. You're, you're born spiritually. So that means it takes place in a moment in time, and you should have awareness of that moment in time. It's called justification. Justification. We are justified. And Paul describes it this way. He, he says it, it's a gift from God. It's, it's God's grace. But you take advantage of that through faith. It's not by the things you do. It's not by anything you've earned but you're trusting God in faith that he will justify you. What does that word mean? Some people have helped us understand by saying, just break that word down. Justified means just as if I'd. So it's just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I'd always obeyed. That's what it means to be justified. Remember, we, we've already learned that we were separated from God because we're sinners. But God doesn't want to say separated from us. So he gives us a gift that's demonstrated by the death of Jesus on the cross. It's fulfilled when Jesus raised from the dead. And when we look to what Jesus has done for us, he makes it just as if we've never sinned, just as if we've always obeyed. He makes us righteous in his righteousness. That's a big deal. We're saved from the punishment of sin. But that wasn't the end. That's verse 9. In verse 10... He talks about how we're being sanctified. When, when you were born, you were just a baby. I mean, you were a cute baby, every one of you. You were the cutest baby I've ever seen. You were cute, but you were just a baby. 
And nobody stays a baby. You grow up. Same thing spiritually. When you step across that faith line, just like these five who were baptized just a moment ago, they're demonstrating that their spiritual life has begun. But they're supposed to grow, to be sanctified, to look more like Jesus. In our church, we've been studying through the book of Romans, and and we just finished Romans 12. And in Romans 12, Paul says, I want to present my body as a living sacrifice before God so that I can do what he wants me to do so that I'm not conformed to look like this world, but that I'm transformed to look like Jesus. Being sanctified means I should look more and more like Jesus. That's why Paul says in verse 10, I want to know Christ. I want to know everything about God through Jesus. So when I'm sanctified, I'm saved from the power of sin. I, I begin to realize Sin doesn't have to control me. I, I don't have to look like my old me. I, I can look like Jesus. But the best part of it is verse 11, because Paul says in verse 11, yes, you're justified. Yes, you want to be sanctified. But one day you will be glorified. And you know what it means to be glorified? That means you're seeing Jesus face to face. That means you're experiencing the glory of heaven. You're with God forever. Your forever life has begun. Not only do you not deal with the punishment of sin, not only do you not deal with the power of sin, but in heaven, we don't have the presence of sin. Aren't you grateful for the hope of heaven on Easter weekend? But I want to focus on that verse 10. In verse 10, Paul says, I want to know Christ, yet to know the power of his resurrection, the participation in his suffering. Wow. Man, for me, I, I think I might would have liked it better if they'd have edited that part out. I mean, if it just said, I want to know the power of the resurrection of Jesus, period. But he didn't. He said, and, and I want to know the participation of his sufferings, and I want to be like him in his death. But he begins with saying, I want to know Christ. And, and here on this day, I, I want to say something to you. You, you need to know Christ. You need to know God through his son, Jesus Christ. And there's a lot of other good things you can know. Man, I'm I'm looking out at people from all over the world, and you've been educated on different continents, and and some of you are doctors and nurses and attorneys and engineers and, and teachers. And man, we've got all kind of trades represented. It's great that you know your area of academic excellence. It's, it's great that you know your skill, your trade like nobody else. It's great that you know a lot of people because we need to know people. But the most important thing that you can know in your life is to know God through the person of Jesus Christ. You need to know him. Paul uses a word here that describes a personal and intimate knowledge, not simply a factual or intellectual knowledge. There's a difference between knowing about him and knowing him. I have a lot of education. I took courses that I didn't really even like. And unfortunately, I remember some of the things from some of those. I know facts about historical figures, many of which are dead, but I didn't know them. But let me make it more personal. I know a lot of people but I don't know anybody like I know my wife, Kimberly. If you still don't get it, let me explain it. The word that Paul uses here is the same word that he uses in Matthew to describe the unusual thing that took place at the birth of Jesus. Because it says that the mother of Jesus, Mary, all of a sudden found herself pregnant with a child. But then the Bible says, but she had not known Joseph. Or any other man. Are you following me now? According to scripture. To to know someone in this way. Is an intimate knowledge. I know a lot of people. But the only person I've ever known. Is Kimberly. The Bible says. That we should want to have that kind of intimate knowledge. Of Christ. Now this is interesting. Because we know that Paul had a relationship with Jesus. You remember his story? His story may be like some of you. I grew up in a a Christian home. My dad was a preacher. And and I'll be honest, I did have a drug problem. I was drugged to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. I mean, but, but 
really, God protected me from a lot. I began a relationship with God young. Some of you are not like that. You're more like the Apostle Paul. In whatever way, you were rebelling against the things of Jesus. Paul was rebelling religiously. Some of you are like that. You've been very religious, but you've never submitted control of your life to Jesus. And, and so Paul was a person who hated Christians. We've already discovered he followed all the religious laws, but he didn't love Jesus. In fact, he didn't believe Jesus was God. But something happened, and the Bible tells us exactly where it happened. He was in Syria on a road to Damascus, and the risen Christ encounters Paul. The Bible says Paul falls to his knees, and he says one word. He says, Lord. And that's why when we come to Christ, we talk about surrendering our life to Jesus because we recognize that he's a Lord, a word which means boss or master. Coming to Christ is not just a knowledge of who he is or it's not showing up at church. It's yielding control of your life to the Lord, to the master. So Paul knew Jesus, and he followed Jesus, and now for 30 years, he had been a missionary and a pastor and a preacher, and he, he wrote a large chunk of the Bible, and yet he says, I, I want to know Christ. Do you know Christ? I'm not talking about all the religious facts. You know Jesus? Paul knew him, but, but he wanted to know him more. Don't you respect that? I mean, most of us would think, man, if, if I was living the life of the apostle, if I was imprisoned because I was being faithful to God, I think I'd be all right with myself. But now he wanted to know more. He knew he hadn't arrived. Our kids are getting older, so... Even holidays like Easter and Christmas, they look a little different with, with older children. When, when our boys were younger, we had an SUV, and we'd go on long trips. We'd drive maybe from Missouri to the other side of Colorado, and we'd be in that SUV a long time. And, and I'm just telling you, um, I got tired of hearing my sons ask this question. You know what it, what it was? Yeah, are we there yet? Let me see your hands, parent, if you've ever lied as an answer to that question. Yeah. <laughs> Are we there yet? Paul knew he wasn't there yet. Do you know you're not there yet? Are you, are you content with where you are spiritually? I doubt you are because, again, as long as I've lived, I've learned that most people, they kind of have an awareness whether or not they are vulnerable and open about that, they realize they're not what they want to be. One of the marks of a committed follower of Christ is a humble awareness that they're not there yet. So Paul says, I want to know the power of the resurrection. Now, why would he want to know the power of the resurrection? Because he believed if the grave of Jesus was empty, then anything was possible. Paul, not only does he have this incredible list of all the things he was before Jesus, you ought to hear what he went through after Jesus. He talks about being shipwrecked and being beaten and being thrown out of town and going through all kind of abuse and being cursed at and being left for dead and all the things that he went through. And yet he's writing this because he believed if the, if the resurrection's true, if the grave of Jesus is empty, then anything is possible. You know what the Bible teaches the Bible explicitly teaches that the same power that conquered the grave of Jesus is available to you. Listen to this other writing from the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 1 verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. By the way, I love that verse because that's where we get the song we sometimes sing. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy pe people. So what's the riches? His, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Do you live as if you believe that? 
that the same power that conquered the grave of Jesus is available to you? You say, well, Pastor, what does that power look like? Well, Paul goes on to tell us in Ephesians 3 and verse 20, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than we all ask or think or imagine according to his power that's working in us. His power, what does that power look like? It's unimaginable. It's immeasurable. It's abundant. It's everything we need. We sing about it. We sing a song that says, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the same power that commands the dead to wake, the same power that moves mountains when he speaks, the same power that can calm a raging sea, it lives in us. It lives in us. He lives in us. That's the message of Easter. Are you living as if anything's possible by God's grace and through his power? Are you living as if illnesses can be healed? Are you living as if relationships can be restored? Are you living as if bills can still be paid? Are you living as if pain can still be quieted? Are you living as if people in your little corner of the world, your friends, your family members can still be saved? What are you trusting God to do that can only be done by the power that makes all things possible? Let me ask that question in another way. Because a lot of us here would say we believe that. If God answered all your impossible prayers today, how would your life look differently tomorrow? I just want you to understand that we've got to live as if we believe what we say we believe. Paul said he wanted to know the power of the resurrection. I want to know that too. But he didn't stop there. He said, I also want to fellowship and participate in his sufferings. I even want to be like him in his death. Did you catch that? Verse 10, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So here's some bad news for some of you. The presence of God's power in your life doesn't necessarily mean prosperity in every area of your life. And this should be a relief to some of you, but, but some of you have bought into some ungodly, unbiblical teaching. And I'm sorry because it's, it's coming from people that stand on the stage like me or maybe pastors or leaders who, who write books and you, you pick them up off of a shelf even in a Christian section and you think this has got to be true. And, and yet, as you hear it, it's not biblical let me just tell you why it's not biblical. The 11 disciples that we still had after Judas had hung himself, do you know how the 11 disciples died? They were martyred for their faith. Because they would not reject Jesus, they gave up their lives. And like Paul, before their death, they were imprisoned. They were tortured. They went through pain. Nowhere in Scripture do we find that if you just follow Jesus, everything will be hunky-dory in your life. In fact, we find the opposite. We find the reality that suffering exists in this broken world. And that brings us back to why this is such a good day. Do you know what all religions have in common? In fact, even atheists believe this. And maybe you're here because somebody invited you and you consider yourself an agnostic. Well, maybe there's a God, but if there is, I can't know him. Even agnostics believe this. You know what everybody believes? This old world is broken. It's messed up. Even CNN believes this. Fox News believes this. I mean, this world is a mess. It needs help. Things need to be fixed. What we celebrate today is we believe that Jesus did everything necessary to fix that which is broken. It just doesn't mean that sometimes we're spared from the pain of the brokenness. That's what brings us back to this verse. We believe Jesus' death was the only hope because there can't be resurrection until there's been death. Sometimes the suffering we go through, like my friend Victor shared, sometimes we'll never have the answers on this side of heaven. 
But as we trust the Lord, he shows us, Carlos, that he's at work even in the midst of our pain. This is the essence of the gospel. We were separated from God because of our sin. But Jesus took our sin when he died on the cross. And when he rose from the grave, he gives us a chance to look to him and receive the only help and the only hope that's possible. Paul believed this so much that he even wrote to us in the book of Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I guess my question to ask you is, have you been crucified with Christ? That's why Paul would say, I want to participate in the suffering. I want to be like him in his death. Have you experienced the power of the gospel? Well, I need to conclude. So, so let me just tell you why this matters. He tells us in the next few verses. Let me just read them to you. Not that I've already obtained all this. Shoo. Aren't you grateful for that? Not that I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on. Say press on. To take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What does it look like practically when you begin to live in the power of the resurrection? Well, as I explain this, just understand, three times again, Paul told us, I'm not there yet. <laughs> We're not there yet. We're not. So don't feel guilty. Some of you, you didn't even want to come in today because you're afraid that somebody knows what you did last night or somebody knows the life you're really living. That, understand, none of us are there yet. But he tells us how we live out this power. Here's the first thing. God gives us power to forget those things that are behind us. Let me see your hand if you're grateful some things in your life are behind you. <laughs> yeah, me too. Oh my goodness. I struggle with forgetting them though in the way I think about it. In fact, I, I'm old enough to, uh, I, I can't remember the things I'm supposed to remember. And I feel like I forget the things I don't want. I mean, I remember the things I want to forget. In fact, um, even when it comes to if I've ever been hurt, I, I prayed, Lord, would you just give me a short memory of offense? And he answered me, but he didn't answer it completely. He just gave me a short memory. I mean, I just can't remember anything. But this really isn't talking about our memory. Forget here doesn't mean you no longer remember. We're not God. God can do that. We can't. But it means you're no longer controlled by. Are you being controlled by your past? For some of us, it's our past failures. I mean, we've blown it. There's some things we've done we wish we'd have never done. If we could go back in time, we'd go back in time and undo it. For some of us, it's our past successes. You're living on yesterday's victories. And I just need to remind you that <laughs> yesterday's victories are just tomorrow's tarnished trophies. If you, if you went over to our house and went up in my attic, there's a box because my mom, she saved everything from my childhood. And in that box, you can, you can find some of my old trophies. Like, there's some football trophies. And now, when I was a child, not everybody got a trophy. But there's some football trophies, and I really wasn't that good, but somehow I got a trophy. So maybe everybody did get I don't know. But you go, and I pick up that trophy when I was in Little League football, and I thought that was so great back then. And I look at it now, it's all tarnished. And it's plastic. It was never that big of a deal. <laughs> Some of you may need to know you were never that big of a deal. But whether it's your successes or your failures, I, I, I want you to understand you don't want to be shackled by your past and you don't want to strut by your past. You may not be able to change the past, but you can change the meaning of the past. Remember how I said I wish I could go back and change some of the things I've done? I do, but I wouldn't give anything for what God's done as a result of some of those things in my life. 
So that's the first thing. God gives you the power to forget those things that are behind you. Secondly, God gives you the power to focus on those things out in front of you. That's what I want to leave you with today. I want you focusing on what God's got in store for you. I want you looking forward. Don't be in the rearview mirror. And don't be caught up in the negativity of this world. I run into some people, I think they take negative vitamins. I mean, every day they just get up and say, okay, what's going to make me negative today? Let me just think, okay, that glass is half empty. Some people, I think they take pills to just scrunch up their face rather than smooth out the wrinkles. Don't be that way. Look forward. Understand that God is working in your life for his glory, even in your future. Press on. Man, we all live under the same sky, but we don't all see the same horizon. Ask God to show you his future in a way that allows you to live for him. Ask him to give you a him-possible vision. Ask him to help you look at those things that you think were not possible, but you understand now that if the grave of Jesus is empty, anything is possible. Amen, church? And then lean forward. Do whatever it takes. Develop that kind of attitude for Jesus. Paul's describing a stretching and a straining and crawling and a give God your all. Are you willing to do that? The way he says he does that is because he says he's taking hold of Jesus. Ray, would you step up here a second? Come right here in the middle. See if you can help me illustrate something. Ray's my buddy. Ray, I want you to grab hold of my arm there. You got me? I got you. You're a big boy, Ray. <laughs> I think you could hurt us both. <laughs> if you pulled, I think I'd come down. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, and thank you, Ray. You got me? You latched on to me? Now let me show you what I'm about to do, Ray. I'm latching on to you. Let me just tell you what I did. I took hold of the one who's taken hold of me. The Bible says, Ray, let's just have a moment here. Ray, yes, you've been to that place where you knew you were a sinner? Yes, sir. You believe Jesus died on the cross for your sin? Oh, yes. You know he's alive today? You've committed your life to him? 100%. I knew all that. When you did that, Jesus took hold of you. The rest of your life, he wants you to take hold of him. Yes, sir. Amen? Thank you, Ray. But that's not just Ray. That's not just Ray. That's you. That's what we're doing in light of the resurrection, taking hold of the one who's taken hold of us. Now, I tried to think of how to illustrate this for weeks. I knew this is where we're going on Easter weekend, and I, I struggled with how to just wrap this up with an illustration. And then on Good Friday, God just made it kind of crystal clear. So I want to tell you a story about a man a friend of mine, one of the best ministers I've ever known. His name was Mr. Willie. Mr. Willie, uh, he had a rough background. In fact, my parents probably would have called him a, a hellion. I mean, he made a lot of choices that were not pleasing to God. And it not only uh, probably affected others, it, it messed up his life. And some of those choices may have contributed to what took place more than 20 years ago, which was a massive stroke. Mr. Willie had a massive stroke. It created some problems with his sight. And, and then it, it just had a toll on his body. He was kind of confined to a wheelchair. After that stroke, he, he went into a nursing care and rehab and didn't know if he'd come out, but he did come out and was able to live on his own right over here in some apartments not far from this church. And he, he found his way to this church. And then as a result of, of being in this church, he, he became a part of what was known as the Bunkley Bunch, the Buckley Bunch. And, and, and Bill Buckley, one of our faithful men of God, just began to invest into Willie's life. And when he first talked to Willie, Willie said he knew God. But really what he meant is he knew about God. But after Bill had talked to him and showed him the scriptures, Willie knew God. 
And he began to grow in his faith. One of my favorite pictures was when, when Willie from that wheelchair would be sitting in worship and he would just be lifting his hands in worship. And then I've got some memories. It weren't a lot of these, but there were some memories where the worship was so powerful. Willie would motion to somebody, and they would help hold his wheelchair, and, and he would take every bit of energy in his body, and he would stand on those two legs, and he would lift both arms, just worshiping Jesus. Last time Willie was here, not a long, long time ago, he was sitting right over there in that wheelchair. Willie became a follower of Christ, but he, he began to talk to Bill, and he said, Bill, I'm disabled. What difference can I make for God? And after some conversation, Bill and Willie, they settled on this birthday ministry. And so Willie took it upon himself. He would meet people in the church. And I don't know how he did it because he couldn't walk and he couldn't talk clear. But his memory worked good because he remembered everybody's names. And he would find out their birthdays and either, either send them a text or, or, or he'd call them. And when he'd call me, he would sing. And it'd be hard to understand, but he'd be singing, Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Pastor Paul. Happy birthday to you. When my mom moved here, <laughs> he said, Give me your mom's birthday. And so I did. And so I, I think a couple years ago, we took this picture on his birthday, just celebrating his birthday. And, and a couple months ago, I was with him, like a lot in our church were on, on his birthday over here at the nursing home. And I sang to him that day and just loved him. And he smiled and giggled like Willie does. How many of you in here ever got a call or a text from Willie on your birthday? Look around, church. Hey, I, I just want to remind you, your disabilities don't matter what matters is your availability. God will use your availability to accomplish what he has made you able to do. Well, on Good Friday, Good Friday, Mr. Willie became like Jesus in his death. He experienced the power of his resurrection. I'm so thankful our church was there with him. My friend, the Rucks, that's that picture you see of the hands being held. They... They were with Mr. Willie just a couple hours before he we went to see Jesus. And then my friend Billy McCoy, I, I think they were probably there maybe 30 minutes before Willie went home. He was surrounded by his church. But you know what happened in an instant? In an instant, he received the prize. What Paul just talked about. Because he had latched on to Jesus in an instant. He was walking like he hadn't walked in more than two decades. He was talking more clearly than he's talked in more than two decades. He was, he was still giggling the same way. But he was standing and worshiping Jesus face to face. That's what this is about. Oh, church, if the grave of Jesus is empty, then anything is possible for you. And I've got some good news this Easter morning. It is empty. He's alive. He's ruling. He's reigning. He's here right in this moment. So you've just got to ask, are you living like the grave's empty? Are you living with that resurrection power? Let's bow our heads. Now, a lot of us here, we know we're followers of Jesus. But man, when I, when I hear this message, I just realize there are some areas I'm not trusting him. I want to wake up every morning expecting God to do those things that only he can do. And so if you're a follower of Christ, maybe right here, right now, you would just spend a minute reflecting on that reality but there's a lot of you here there's a lot of you friends here that you've never begun that relationship with Jesus again I want to remind you it's not because you're a bad person but Jesus didn't die and rise again to make us better he died and he rose again to make us one with God and you're not one with God because you're still dead in your sinfulness. But the good news is, I believe, I believe God's reaching out to you today. 
you've heard what we call the good news, I don't know, maybe five times in these minutes together. Jesus died on the cross for your sin. He was buried and he's alive today. He just wants you to look to him, to follow after him, and to give him control. Are you ready to do that? I said that and asked that question to my friend Shirley on Friday night over at our ministry campus at Six Mile. I said, Shirley, you ready to do that? She said, yes, I am. And right there, she began a relationship with Christ. And right here, some of you can begin that same relationship. You can just cry out to God and tell Him. Just, I know I need you. I'm a sinner. I believe you died for me, Jesus. I, I know you're alive. Take control. But maybe you're like Shirley. I said, Shirley, you want to pray in your own words? And she said, I'm just not real good at praying yet. I said, would you pray with me? I did, and I'll do the same with you. So right here in this moment, if you want to nail it down, if you want to get it right on this Easter weekend, maybe you'd pray this prayer. Just say this, you and God. Dear Jesus, just you and him, I know I need you. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. I believe you died for me. So I receive your forgiveness. I know you're alive. So come into my life. Take control for the rest of my life. I'm going to follow you. Now tell him thank you. Just say thank you, Jesus. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and I'd ask you, just everybody respect that for another moment. Last service, not quite this many people. But about 10 folks lifted up their hands after I asked what I'm about to ask you and said they began that relationship with Jesus. So I want to give you a chance to do that. I'm not going to come to you and embarrass you. I've asked everyone to keep their eyes closed. But there's something about just telling somebody else, hey, I just did that. Things are going to be different. So if that's you, if you just prayed that prayer with me, you've begun that relationship with Jesus Christ, when I count to three, I want right where you are just to lift up your hand, and I'm just going to say welcome to the family of God. That's all I'm going to do. Are you ready? One, two, three. Just across this room, you prayed that prayer. That's awesome. Right here. Others of you right there, that's awesome. There in the back, to my right. There in my back, to my left. All across the room. That's incredible. That's the most important thing you could ever do. Welcome to the family of God. So Father... Again, in the name of Jesus, I just want to say thank you. Because today, eternity was changed. There's no miracle you do that's bigger than what you've just done. A life that was changed from death to life, from hell to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Now for all of us, Lord, help us to live with that resurrection power. Help us to see that nothing is impossible with you. And for this, we say thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, church, would you just praise God for a lot of folks that just began a relationship with him? 